I'm R.J. Bell with the Sports Bank Headlines for Tuesday. Well, tonight we've got the Phoenix Suns looking to take a 2-0 lead over the Clippers. Chris Paul is out. Current line, Suns at home favored by four and a half. Tomorrow, we got the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, the money in the game coming in on Atlanta. It went from eight to seven. If you look at the series price, though, Milwaukee with an 80% chance to advance. College football win totals are out. Let's see if you recognize any of the first four teams with the most wins projected. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Here comes a four-hour The Vegas Truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. This is Straight out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas, live on a Tuesday, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. NBA Final Four happening. We'll have a preview. Look also at that Atlanta, Milwaukee. I think people are getting it wrong about Milwaukee. They think that winning the second round of the playoffs has taken care of those demons. I don't think so. I think Giannis's free throws might be a little crickety as the pressure is on. The question is, will Atlanta be able to provide the pressure? Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans listen to no more than their buddies. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals coming up later on. We've also got Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals a little over 24 hours away from now. So what is the Vegas lead here on this Tuesday? Let's talk about the aftermath Day 2 of the 76ers. And I want to drill into the idea of the process itself because to me... I think that talk radio in general, talk TV, you know, talking heads, TV, blah, blah, blah. By definition, they are covering stories an inch deep. Why? Because, hey, there's four minutes to the commercial break and TV especially. You know, radio, if they if a host wants to, he can be more leisurely. Now, sometimes I think hosts can get too leisurely. A lot of local radios about what the guy ate for lunch yesterday because they got four hours to fill. <laughs> you know, that to me is one of the advantages of having a one-hour show is we've always got, even during the pandemic, no sports. We had more show than we had time. And that means you guys are getting, at least we like what we're sharing, you know? A lot of times in these longer shows, in the off-season especially, it's tougher. But even in a shorter show, you can dig as deep as you want. It's just you can't cover as many topics. And I think there's some misconceptions about the process. And Jonas, I'd like to have you as a representative of the fans of a, in my opinion, a very bright fan, but not a professional hedge fund guy, not a, you know, uh, uh, not a um, professional batter, obviously, obviously, right? 
<laughs> just like I'm not a professional radio guy, obviously, as Jonas might say. <laughs> but but the, oh, you didn't have to laugh that hard, John. Jeez. All right. But here's the here's my question. Would what about the process? Do you, as you understand it, and, and it's all about our definition of it. Do you like and all the neutral stuff? Throw keep out. I want to hear the stuff that you really liked about the process, if anything, and things you really disliked. Uh, Joel Embiid is what I liked, and uh, what I did- which how do how do you get? So the theory is that if you tank and get high picks, a percentage of those picks are going to be really good. Yeah, that- and I think Joel Embiid is by far and away clearly the best pick that they've come away f- with. You know, in, in with the quote unquote process that is happening uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. What I I don't like is that. If they come away and and say they you know get to an NBA Finals or if they would have advanced past this round, this idea that the process worked, I I don't know if if it worked it, more so than they just threw a bunch of stuff at the wall and something was eventually going to stick. And what that thing was was Joel Embiid because as we mentioned yesterday, you could talk about Markel Fultz and some other things they did that haven't well, worked. But what do we say that isn't that Bella isn't that Belichickian yes. to change sport? Hundred percent. In that you, one of the ba- in amongst the smartest draft people, and I'll say the smartest public draft people, because the, usually in any profession, the smartest of the smart people are not talking about it. Hedge funds don't often have their secrets revealed in a conference or on a radio show. So there can be some really smart people, let's hope now I'm publicly talking, about any subject, but the ones that are in the 99.99999, at least as long as they're living it, they're not talking about it. Now, sometimes you get a guy that retires, you know, and then at that point, coaches, I think you see this. If there's a 40-year-old former coach on TV... It means he. No one wants to hire the guy. If it was a sixty-five-year-old coach, maybe you know Bill Walsh did a lot of TV. Bill Walsh was one of the best football minds ever. So in general, though, when I say I'm I'm listening to draft guys that really know what they're talking about, this is amongst the public people, and the belief in the draft is that nobody knows enough to be close to certain about any pick. Thus. If you could have two picks at number 20 or one pick at number 10, most smart draft people would rather two picks at 20 because it is, as Jonas said, throwing things against the wall. So when you say that them trying to accumulate the process, accumulating picks because they realize that they're crapshoots, I think that's smart thinking, isn't it? Yeah, it's smart thinking. I just I don't know that it needs to be called the process. It could just be called hoarding draft picks to increase your odds of success. <laughs> Not quite as catchy. <laughs> no, no, and that that's true. And 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 on the Belichick front, and and I always you know talk make this point that you know Tom Brady is applauded as one of the great draft picks of all time. Well, even the Patriots passed on him five times. No so doubt. The, so this idea that you know they saw something so nobody else saw. No, they saw something nobody else saw. When there was nobody else, they saw more better a better pick at that point when they grabbed Tom Brady. So, but it goes to show that it's all calculated risks, right? Is let's say there's a lottery ticket that's a, one of the common lottery tickets back in the old days was you, they'd it'd be a pick three. There'd be three numbers, zero through nine, three numbers. So there's a thousand numbers, right? Zero, zero, zero through nine, nine, nine possible numbers. If someone played the lottery and was getting six hundred to one on it, 
that's a bad bet. Anyone playing that thousand to one bet for six hundred one has a bad bet. But if somehow, some way, you knew the first number matched, okay, now you've got a hundred to one shot with two numbers to go. If you can buy that baby for, you know, uh, let's say. Let's say that you were getting paid. So it's a hundred to one shot. Let's say you were getting paid a thousand to one. Well, all of a sudden now, a lottery ticket, which is a bad bet typically, becomes a good bet. But you know what? You're going to lose that bet 99 out of 100 times. It's only one out of 100 you're going to win, but right. the payoff is enough to make it worth it. Tom Brady, as a first round pick in hindsight, would have made sense. But at the time, that would have been a horrible calculated risk. But in the sixth round, it was a great risk. So I, I agree with you, but I think this is all about probability and all about odds from the top to the bottom. And that's why trading back, I think, is usually what the smart teams do because everyone thinks they're sure. I know I want this guy. Eh, I'm not so sure, right? And as you said, Tom Brady was passed on five times. So, But so far, Jonas, if I'm hearing you correctly, Belichick – and the and the 76ers think the same way about picks you just don't like the branding yeah i just it feels like oh this was all part of the you know the the quote unquote process you know as they talk about this is all part of the process well was it part of the process for you to trade the number 3 pick for the number 1 pick take markel fultz and let the celtics in your conference end up with jason tatum which I mean, goes against the the idea that you're uncertain they're saying we're so sure, certain that fultz is better that we're willing to trade a number 1 to go up two slots that goes against it you're right but hanky wasn't there for that was yeah, he yeah and, and no and and then you talk about these shooting issues for Ben Simmons. Well, you know, Markel Fultz had the same things that were going on there to where it felt like mentally, psychologically, mm. he was broken. So I just... If you want to claim it as a, that's six, pro, do you think that's process oriented though? I I, I don't know. I it, maybe that's something in Philadelphia to where maybe they've got to figure out a way to uh, to work around that <laughs> to, to where they can the, get, to, to settle the fans down. <laughs> yeah, I mean something like that. You know, it's going to take a lot to settle that fan base down. I just think that it's a catchy phrase. It's a catchy nickname. It's cool. But I don't know that it necessarily yeah. is anything that different from what a lot of teams have tried to do when they've tried to collect a bunch of picks. This business. It's a crapshoot. Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. You gamble and you lost. Now, you've made a lot of money with us before, and you make a lot again. We always take care of our friends. You know that. That's what Hanky said when they were kicking him out of town. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the fact is, I do believe, and there is, a, I think it's a seven-page letter that Hanky released at the time of his you know, parting of the ways with the Sixers, and he really went through and rationalized his thinking. They, he wanted it on record what he was attempting to do with the process. I think Jonas brings up a good point. The branding of it was too successful and it became a cause for scorn. Think about it. When something isn't successful, we ignore it. When it's the proper amount of success, we are fine with it. But when it gets too successful, too much attention, there's a backlash. And I think Hanky came up with the name because it's kind of hard. You, the reason there are trademarks to start with, and if you watch like The Wire, they would trademark like when they were selling heroin on you know the TV show. It was like, oh, this is you know weapons of mass destruction. Oh, that's a great name if you're trying to get blown out, right? So okay, so th there's 
with drugs or is going to be branding? What is it right. or anything, including street drugs? What is why? What does it represent? It's a way to with a simple name to associate it with a concept or with a product. So whatever the Sixers were doing, it had to have a name. Or how could people defend it? How could the fans say, "Don't worry about losing." We trust the process. It was a way to bridge them from the losing to the winning. Now, what would Henke have done if he had been there? I don't know. Would he have changed the name? Would he have called it something up? I don't know. But I do think that name was so successful, we now have something to point to when we want to scorn it. When we want to be negative about it, we can point to it just as easy. Not just the Sixers way. Even the Patriots. The Patriot way is the same as the process. It's a branding for an overall operational theory. The question I've got is, what part of the process was different than what any team would have done. And I think there was a few. I don't think their ability to draft, and if you look at the draft choices, in 18, they took Bridges, and he was traded to the Suns. He's thriving there. You got Fultz. It is interesting, Jonas. I didn't make that connection when it came to the missed or the the, the shooting yips. The fact is, probably the two most famous shooting yips of the last 10 years, both were Philadelphia 76ers. Now, that is interesting. The hardest fan base in sports, Ben Simmons in 16, Okafor in uh, 15, and Embiid in 14. I don't think the process was ever, we're going to draft better than other people. So the fact that they drafted, you know, fair, I'd call it. I think if we would have been talking about this a year ago, we would have said better than fair. Having two franchise guys with Simmons at the time being considered one out of, you know, those draft choices is good. It's good. But now if you only have one, now it starts to be less good. But at no point did the Sixers say they were going to draft better. I think at the heart of it, the, the process was we're going to be not only okay with losing, for a while, we're going to embrace it. We're going to literally tell, oh, your ankle hurts a little bit. Yeah, shut it down for the year. Right? OKC's doing something very, sim- did something very similar this year, but it was an active embracing of losing because winning enough to be the fourth or fifth best team doesn't do you any good in the lottery in the draft. And oh, by the way, the lottery's tonight. And we're going to see. Let me see. The Rockets. Oh, it seems like they tried to lose. Pistons, I can't figure out what they're doing. But okay. Magic obviously tanked at the end of the year. And again, we'll define tanking as deferring winning, not trying to purposely lose on the court, but rather not playing guys maybe if they're a little bit banged up. OKC, obviously, is doing a similar thing. So it seems like that process is happening right now. The only difference you know, in those cities... The only other difference I see with Philly is the, the way they coddled the players. That the connection between, oh, your ankle hurts, take off a month, and the way that they seemingly are soft now, especially the Simmons, and you could say Embiid coming, and again, we can say he played on his knee and meniscus. I don't know. I don't know. I know that he doesn't strike me as nails tough as uh, he's tougher than me last thing I'd want to do is fight and beat in an alley but I'm telling you he doesn't seem NBA tough to me but maybe we're projecting maybe if anything him playing on that meniscus 
extra minutes in games that didn't matter was because he was trying to react to people saying he's not tough. And that actually is an indictment of the process also because it's a reaction to the coddling and the softness that these players were um, treated as. Would you agree with that, Jonas, specifically that the, the, the process players were treated like they ran the organization? It wasn't like a Belichickian authority from above. Yeah, they were really coveted because that was part of this plan. This part of this, uh, all yes. right, well, these guys are a part of the plan, so we need to make sure that they're uh, that everybody's kept uh, you know uh, healthy and everybody's kept safe here with all this. They're, they're the assets. They're yes. the assets, yes. And, and I do think the branding portion of this is a big deal because Paul George called himself playoff off P. He will never live that down. Paul George has had a phenomenal run here in the postseason. There are still people that snicker at the thought that he's playoff P to where they were calling him pandemic P last year in the bubble and all that. <laughs> when you give yourself a name, even if you're half joking, and even if this was just all, you know, the the Sixers and, and them just trying to have some fun and say, oh, trust the process. This is part of our process. Well, when you do that, all of a sudden there's an expectation that comes along with it, whether you want it or not. And I think that's what part of the backlash has been. I like to go by T-Bone. Personally, I mean, it's up to you. But now, what what I will say, Marge Avell, we are straight out of Vegas, aka T Bone. But but I think there's another element to this. There was I won't name the sports book because it's gone now and it doesn't really matter. But there was a guy who started a sports book about 15 years ago offshore that was kind of a, a rebel. He was an intelligent guy. He thought of things very differently. And he was on the cover of magazines eventually. And he took a software company that he was a part of and built software for sports books. Then he noticed these sports book operators, and these are the offshore things like, you know, like sportsbook.com back in the day or Bet Online, the ones that are in faraway places. And he, he looked at the sportsbook business and he said, you know, these guys aren't too smart. I'm going to start my own sportsbook business with this software. So he did it. And they had like 30 people work for him. And then they were just booming. One day he walked in and fired everybody, everybody, and replaced them all. Now, why did he do that? I once was able to ask him, and he said, I didn't want the people working there to know me as the guy that used to go to beers, go out for beers with them, or would, you know, go to their birthday parties. I had to be an authority figure. And I can't, you can't convert from a friend, a, a colleague, to an authority figure. So I wiped them out and put new people in. And to them, I was a hero. I was an authority figure. Now, why do I say that? I think the process would work if you replaced every player as assets. You trade them because then you could get rid of the losing that kind of got bred through all the losing. I don't think you should be comfortable with losing. There's no way for the Sixers to lose that much in any player that was there during that process to be all like winning at all costs. They saw losing's fine, <laughs> right? So to some degree, if you got all those assets, those players, and you got more of them because you lost, then you traded them for other assets that didn't have that losing in their blood, I think the process is kind of brilliant. The problem was they thought all the losing, one day they could flip the switch 
and all of a sudden winning would become a we see the Sixers don't fight as hard as other teams when they're going down. Why? Because losing seems to be in their blood. And I'm not talking about the players' souls. I'm not talking about them as people. I'm saying as basketball players, they're comfortable with losing more so than, let's say, a Michael Jordan. Last word, Jonas. Well, yeah, and that's why they tried to get rid of uh, Brett Brown, right? And bring in Doc well, Rivers he, and, and, and say, oh, you was, know, uh, he's not part of that losing culture that's been here for so long. And they did that, and that didn't work either. And so now, Wow, but the know, players were the ones that were part of the losing. I know, I, mean, I, I know. <laughs> now, Mike Lombardi, friend of the show, made an interesting point. He said, it's good that Doc's here and not Brown because Doc has so much political, so many political connections in the NBA media that they're going to start not questioning the coach like they would have if it was someone else. They're going to question the players. And isn't it interesting? The players are getting more heat now than they did when Brown was the fall guy before. Oh, 100%. And that's why this offseason is so interesting because they're going to have to do what they've probably not wanted to do, which is why they gave Simmons the contract they wanted to. They're just going to have to come to terms with the reality that those two guys together probably isn't the best thing for their future. So do, I, I think almost certainly at this point, uh, and I think almost certainly it's Simmons that will go. The question is, what kind of what would they get back for him? Okay, to wrap up, the accumulation of picks and you getting more and better picks because you're losing. I think if the alternative is winning just a little bit more, the process is a brilliant concept, and it's one that a lot of people are still doing. But the fact that the players become the assets and they're so coddled, I think that's something that was a mistake of the process. And I think the losing that it takes to get those players, if the players that lost are still there, it's in the culture, and I think that's a big problem. And we saw it with the Sixers, I think, recently, last couple of years. And to me, finally... We have no idea what Hanky would have done. And maybe the ultimately that Hanky's departure, forced out pretty much, is this, it means the process is incomplete. Because, again, he was the visionary. How do we know exactly what he would have done other than what was done? When we come back, we're going to continue with the NBA, and we're going to look at this Atlanta Hawks-Milwaukee series. The money has been coming in on Atlanta. He's R.J. Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will continue to take a closer look at the NBA playoffs and the Western Conference Finals continuing later on. And we're going to look at the highest rated prospects in the draft. It's kind of interesting is when the NBA playoffs are resulting in a champion being crowned and we're down to the final four, the future keys of championships are usually the top draft choices. Though it is interesting, and actually I'm going to put research on this in real time, imagine that, is let's look at the MVPs of the, this century and let's get what draft choice they were. Because I think what we're seeing here with Joker, he was the worst or the you know the lowest draft choice ever to win the MVP, and then the two prior years that Giannis won the MVP. Guy nice anti Toko Umpo. 
I think he was 15th, and it was the lowest up to that point. So for a long time, I mean, think about it. LeBron, Magic, Bird, Jordan, you know, top one, two, or three picks, almost every MVP, Duncan, Shaq, you know, Kobe had one, LeBron, obviously. And now, lately, 15, second round, huh, I like it. It's like it's democratizing basketball, but... Is it an aberration or is it the trend? I guess we'll see. But draft tonight, the lottery is being picked. We're going to review that. Great day to join. Also, I'm so psyched up, Jonas. I'm going with a Coke Zero. It always gets me a little extra oomph. So, sports. <laughs> this is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences double. That's because of your support of the show. Keep spreading the word, and we'll keep delivering a valuable show to you. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Just search straight out of Vegas. Here in Vegas on the Strip, 104 degrees. The neon is pumping. So, RJ, the NBA playoffs continue after a night off last night. In the Western Conference, we got the Clippers at the Suns right now on pregame.com. It's the Phoenix Suns, a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home. And what we'll do is let's talk about just real high level, the series, the odds. And then in the last segment, we'll get into the preview. Suns are about minus 400 to win. Now, remember, advance. Uh, This is with a 1-0 lead. That means about a 78% chance. Clippers plus 330. You like the Clippers? 100 wins you 330, 22% chance. These odds tell us beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Vegas believes Kawhi Leonard will not play in this series. And it is not even leaving much room for doubt. If the Suns, who with Kawhi on the Clippers, would be about an even team. If you look at the Suns at full strength, Clippers at full strength, Clippers might be considered a smidge better, but it's real close. After a team who's even to start the series, wins the first game at home like Phoenix did, oftentimes that home team is going to be minus 200, minus 220. You know, not much over that. The fact that the Suns, who are up 1-0, are minus 400 about, says there is little belief Kawhi is going to play anytime during the series. Jonas, have you seen anything that tells you otherwise? No. In fact, they've tried to play game by game and, and be very vague about it, but I don't think he's coming back this series. Just gut feeling. Now, let me ask you this. And we've been digging and digging, and we can't seem to – the whole team can't seem to figure it out. What is the contingencies on Chris Paul? Is this a matter that he feels symptoms? Because we're seeing in one report he's got a fever – and once he's done with his symptoms and he's physically able to play, he plays? Or is it that there was a 10-day – the NFL, once you had a positive test, there was 10 days before you could play no matter if you were asymptomatic. Do we know or do you know that situation with Chris Paul? No. And what I've heard just from people that cover the NBA is, first, he doesn't – I've heard that he doesn't show any symptoms, that he's gotten vaccinated. That was a report that came out, so he's been vaccinated. Before all this. Yeah. yeah. So, so he had the vaccine. He's not showing any symptoms. And the NBA is being vague about what is happening because they're trying to protect the privacy of the players in a lot of cases, which just seems – 
a little bit strange considering they've kind of, you know, moved the goalposts a little bit on some of the way that they look at this stuff. LeBron James is is at a tequila opening and nothing happens. Christophe Porzingis goes uh, to, a, to a club and he gets popped $50,000. There's just some inconsistencies here and the, and the coverage of it and the details that have come out are just very sparse. I agree with you. And and part, listen, we say this about the NCAA uh, committee when it comes to college football playoffs. If you want to do what you want publicly, you want to keep it secret if you can. And at minimum, at minimum, you don't want criteria that people can say you contradicted. So imagine I'm hiring people. And let's say, remember, there was a Seinfeld episode that they were hiring seemingly at this restaurant very shapely women. And that it was like, if you weren't of a certain you know, st- um, ideal of beauty, you weren't going to get hired. And it was a comedy, right? And it was, <laughs> it was person after person that walked in that was getting hired all were of this type. And it was like, you know, the joke was it was so evidently true. But the very fact of them saying, hey, you know, we aren't, you know, we're not hiring by any criteria, it was able to be contradicted, right? So by the committee saying um, in college football, by them saying, oh, it's this, it's that, it's this, then we could say, well, if it's this, why are you doing that? Well, they try to tell us nothing really. They give right. a bunch of vague things. Right. To me, is if you think about, the NBA, if it's LeBron, they want one thing. If it's somebody else, they want another. Well, how do you make it where you don't contradict yourself? You don't tell us anything. Exactly. And if you do tell us something, you certainly don't give us a criteria that we can then judge what you've done against. And it seems like the NBA is who is so forthcoming about certain things are mum about this. And my only question would be, is there any reason for them to be mum is there any reason for them to be mum other than trying to be trying to obscure the motivations behind their decisions, which are self-interest? Yeah, I, I can't figure it out. I, I mean, I think, you know, if you if you want to be able to move boundaries, don't make them in the first place. And well, and they've, they, they've but done we can't, that. As this. media, we shouldn't allow them not to make them. E- exactly. But the problem is, is that, you know, NBA media is not going to be overly critical of the league because they, they take it very personal when, when other people on the outside are. So they want to try and continue to tell people how great their league is and all that. And, and they want to remain in the good graces. Yes. There's a club. It's the shrimp club, as I call it. I don't care about the shrimp. I mean, you, you, walk the line right it was you probably got disinvited to a few shrimp dinners with this show but you still you know you're saying there's a future you know but all joking aside there really is in the media because don't forget i don't care if you're president uh obama back in the day or biden or trump or whatever there's certain things no matter if you're the president of the united states or not there's certain athletes that are just, you know, awe-inspiring in a way. It, I mean, Michael Jordan is bigger than the president, or at least he was at a time. And Muhammad Ali was bigger than the president at the time. When I say bigger, his recognizability, if he showed up at a mall, how many people are going to be there, that kind of thing. And rock stars are like that. It's always, I'm going to live like a rock star. Well, that means those rock stars are doing pretty good, right? I remember Michael Jackson, not quite a rock star back in the day, he went to a mall here in Vegas. They had to shut the whole mall down because he showed up at a mall. <laughs> I mean, that is a level of fame that 
a radio host or a TV host, no matter how big, no matter how big, isn't able to match. So now, what do those smart, famous people do? The really famous people. They co-opt the media. And this was the case all the way back with President Kennedy and some of the media that he co-opted. That In hindsight, they look back and judge themselves very harshly. They loved the young, dashing Democrat, and there was a sense of that there wasn't enough scrutiny back then. Again, we're talking the early 60s now. There wasn't enough scrutiny. I Listen, I would hope I could resist it. I'm a, I mean, Belichick's not the type to do this, but I'm a huge Belichick fan. If Belichick started calling me up and asking me about things, and I truly thought he cared, I'm not so sure I could be as critical of him. <laughs> as, I mean, I'm just being honest, yeah. right? Who would be the guy that if it could co-opt you the best, Jonas, um, well, in I'm sports? Really, I'm loyal, so if anybody's good to me, I'm going to side with them no matter what. And I'm it, always gonna No matter what? Yeah, no matter so, what. So you're going to lie to the audience. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I just I, I'm loyal. I just look at it like if somebody's good to me and I know they have good intentions. If, if is it when you say good to you, is it shrimp? Is it buying you shrimp dinners? No, I mean, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, a cup of coffee, maybe a beer here or there works for me. I'm, I'm a cheap date. You know, it doesn't take much for me. Jonas is honest enough to tell you that he'll lie to you. <laughs> Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Straight Out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. When we come back, we're going to preview Suns Clippers, and I'm going to bring up something about Nassib that I haven't heard anyone else talking about. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And R.J., we have got game two of the Western Conference Finals coming up later on tonight. It is the Clippers at the Suns. And right now on pregame.com with the Clippers down one game to none, Phoenix is a four and a half point favorite. Yeah, and this spread opened up Suns favored by six prior to the news that Chris Paul would be out. So there was uncertainty about Paul. Once he was declared out, line drops. I personally feel like this line is an indictment, an indictment of the Clippers and their win over Utah. Because after the Clippers won the third game of the series, Paul George in that great game five uh, in Utah, I told you right on the show, Jonas, that the analytics people said that the Clippers got some really weak shots, some difficult shots, and just excelled at shot making. But typically, that's not repeatable. The fact then the Clippers shot really well again and closed out the series, that's great. That gives you the series win. But once again, is it repeatable? And then we saw, now listen, it's easy to look at game one and say, oh, Phoenix is better without you know Kawhi, even with Chris Paul out. Except that was the biggest win you could make the case in the Clippers franchise history. 
And the idea of after a fatiguing seven-game series against Dallas, a long series against Utah, playing at altitude, those games they did in Utah, and then a turnaround of less than 48 hours, if I recall, Jonas. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. like it wasn't just 48 hours. It was like you know four hours last. I mean, a real amount less. Yeah. It was almost like a sacrificial game. It's almost like the advantage the team that finishes up first gets. And obviously, the NBA is a TV show, and it was driven by having a, the Sunday game and all the different things. I, this line feels high to me. If we assume the Clippers were at a big disadvantage, Chris Paul being, you know, when the pressure's on, Chris Paul, I mean, this is a team Phoenix that pretty much is the same team. I mean, McKenzie, other than Chris Paul, who's on? Who's contributing for Phoenix that didn't contribute last year? Meaning, who else was is new to the team? But just, just improvement. Just no, 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 no one yeah. really So, knew. so the yeah. answer is no one. Yeah. Okay. So the point I'm saying is, that, did that improvement going from a non-playoff team to the second seed in the West, was that just everyone getting a year older and better? No. It was Chris Paul. The, you know, what he taught the organization. The question is... Do those lessons linger, even if he's not on the court? Or is it when the pressure's on, it's a tight game late? The Clippers have so much more playoff experience. So to me, assuming these are even teams, the Suns should be two, two and a half. The fact it's four and a half with a zigzag, I'm going to go with a pizza bet. A pizza bet is better as much as you, if you bet, as you spend on a pizza. I mean, small. On the Clippers, what do you think, Jones? No, I, I like it. I also wonder who's worth more to their team. Is it Chris Paul or is it Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi's worth more as a player. Yeah. The question, the question is the other factor, the coach on the floor stuff, Agreed. and it looks like the market is saying it, it, it doesn't matter that the Chris Paul being on the bench is enough. Or I guess he's not even on the bench with COVID, right? Yeah, so, so yeah, he's not even going to be anywhere near the face, building. So. Maybe FaceTime him in. Have a, yeah, like a, <laughs> there, yeah, there is that too, yeah. So I was going to talk about this uh, Nasib situation for a minute. You know, I'll skip the obvious stuff, which is, you know, unless someone's hurting someone else, I think good people generally are open to other people living their lives. Um, obviously, there's religious stuff that it can make it complicated. And it's, you know, I'm no expert at any of that stuff. But here's the thing that I don't think people are talking about. He donated $100,000 to a suicide prevention organization. The theory being, and I think the, the stats show, that especially with youth, there's a lot of in-the-closet um, uh, sexually people who do feel such frustration and, and other things that it leads to suicide. I mean, it's not, which is, you think about it, the ultimate price, the ultimate problem is not only someone dying, but someone choosing to die. And if someone's choosing to die and it's preventable, then that is really a tragedy. Now, if, so, if, if the coming out is sometimes so difficult that people would kill themselves over it, and we know they do, then that tells me that there's a lot of people against people coming out. And what I didn't hear any of here was, like, who are those people and which of them are good people and which of them are bad people? Because we know there's bad people. We know there's people that hate other races, hate other sexualities, hate you if you're Catholic, whatever. There's all kind of hate out there. And there's not, there's not much you can do with that, right? you got to fight it. you got to do whatever. 
But what about the people? Because I don't believe that it's that group only that's causing people to, uh, you know, who are fresh or uncertain in the closet, not sure what to do to kill themselves. I think there's some good people that, for whatever reason, are resistant to the gay culture or, or homosexuality. And that to me is the question. Because if we all say, yeah, obviously all good people are fine with this, I don't know. I, I don't think everyone that isn't is bad, and I just want to understand who those people are and, and how to reach them. To me, it felt too easy. This felt like something that should have been a big deal, and we're all kind of shrugging and saying, yeah, except it's the first time ever, so it was a big deal. If you missed any of today's show, you can check out the podcast at foxsportsradio.com as we take a look back on how successful the process actually was in Philadelphia, plus a look ahead to game two between the Clippers and the Suns tipping off later on tonight. We are straight out of Vegas. We're back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. And as always, you can check out the show on the iHeartRadio app.